I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, Editor-in-Chief of Munchies, and welcome back to our LA series of Munchies, the podcast. On today's episode, we're exploring cultural appropriation in the culinary world. In a city where culinary diversity is so important and the term ethnic food is thrown around often, I wanted to get a local's impressions on the issues around writing and reinterpreting food from other cultures. So I reached out to an expert on the subject, Andrew T., a comedian and the creator of the blog and podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? His site and show revolves around answering questions that listeners and readers send in on specific instances of racism. Due to the glory of L.A. traffic, we hopped on the phone to discuss the contemporary L.A. food scene, how to be mindful eaters, and how the cookbook Thug Kitchen continues to stir up controversy. It's basically, I mean, I I used to work at a a, a television network, a uh, comedy-centric cable network, and um, I was like one of the only people who wasn't white. There were very few people who weren't white there, and I just realized I was, I'm Asian, but I'm still, I was still like the guy that had to be the non-white person in many, many, many rooms. And I was just like, I can fucking just answer these questions for people. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, thematically speaking, like what are the sorts of questions that people typically ask you on the blog and then sometimes you discuss on the podcast? Oh, totally. Um, the the questions uh, I, I like to divide them up into like a couple categories. Uh, my personal favorite category is um, someone who is currently in an argument with someone about whether something is racist or not, or they want to narc on like a relative or a friend or a you know a loved one or whatever. And it's like uh, especially on the podcast because obviously you can hear it in their voice. Although sometimes you can read it in their words when they call in. It's that they're just furious, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, uh, okay. First of all, you know, my uncle says this all the time. Can you just tell him it's racist? <laughs> it's like, uh, which is great because the, the way the podcast works is we have like a call-in number, and so. Um, part of what's hilarious is I think people think I'm just sitting by the phone waiting to like man the racism line <laughs> so that's dope um, so but but the questions basically I mean it's kind of like the wild world of racism I mean the 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 questions kind of break down into um, shit in the world and in culture um, you know without tipping uh, the hand about this podcast too much you know there's food is a big thing it's a big place where cultures intersect um, but also you know anything that happens in politics culture movies a lot of stuff about Hollywood and TV um, and then also just like interpersonal shit like hey is this okay for me to do hey if you know I get a lot of white people calling in literally just trying to do right but 
being like, I have no fucking clue whether this is the right move. Or, um, you know, people like, it's kind of like the, 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 the big divide is like between, am I doing the right thing or I want to narc out this asshole in my life or in the world? So, so that's, that's kind of how the, the, the blog divides up basically. (laughs) End times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, you know, this is definitely a food culture show and obviously race and identity play a really big role in food culture mm-hmm. and you know you live in Los Angeles which is one of the most diverse food cities in America do Absolutely. you cons- yeah. i mean thinking about when people describe you know LA's amazing quote unquote ethnic food sprawl do you find that term to be racist mm I think um, that, well, I prefer non-white people food, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, it's th- there's like a lot of, um, I mean, food culture or foodie culture, I don't know uh, how you guys feel about that term. <laughs> it's a little, it's not my favorite, but um, there there is a lot of uh, sort of, white people discovering things that other people have known for years, kind of implicit in a lot of that. So like, you know, ethnic food culture or, or, you know, people's uh, culture that they brought as immigrants um, often really, you know, comes out of uh, need and and poverty and, and, um, you know, being separated or or being, you know, away from uh, where you're from and, and trying to preserve your culture. So, I, I guess the implicit in the sort of like sprawling ethnic food culture idea is a little bit that like it, it, it it's racist in the very general vague kind of no one's exactly at fault at this sense of like it, it, it's from the real it's from a lens of like look at this sprawling exotic smorgasbord in front of me as opposed to like this is this is what you know. We, it's it's very like presented from the outside and a little bit from like the white foodie culture's lens. Um, at the same time, I don't think people who think that are racist. You know what I mean? I guess it's just sort of like it, there there is an element though of um, exoticism and sort of tourism in in some p- parts of uh, white culture that that don't sit great with me. Or sorry, white foodie culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we take that idea and we say you know, in food writing, you know, what is a way that people could be more aware about describing that landscape of food in LA? Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I think it's, it's like a, one thing that, you know, I, I've, I, you know, I am guilty of contributing to this too, but I, I feel like there's always such a, um, a way, a tone in the writing and the description of, of, um, you know, ethnic food, quote unquote, that that makes it sound like it's from like like it's a vacation, um, and you know, and this is the thing I, I've actually uh, I contributed to, and and I do like um, the uh, one of the other uh, podcasts on on Earwolf where I do my podcast um, did like a dumpling crawl in the San Gabriel Valley, and there was a part of me that was like, this is like, um, like 
this is this is basically the dumpling claws. Like they hit eight dumpling restaurants. Like, this is like a weird sort of safari. Like this is just food. Like and, and sort of there's an element of like you want to check this off your list so you can do this and you never have to go back. And, and I find that a lot. I mean, I'm uh, Chinese. And so in L.A., the, the great Chinese area is, is uh, loosely speaking called the San Gabriel Valley, um, where a lot of different Chinese immigrants or Taiwanese immigrants um, uh, went. I don't even know my history well enough, but you know, long enough that they're very established. And it's sort of like a middle class Chinese American with an emphasis on the Chinese uh, series of cities. And I find that my white friends feel like going to the San Gabriel Valley is this like trip. It's like this, this safari or this vacation. And I'm like, I go there multiple times a week. It's just a place. So I feel like, you know, breaking down the barrier of like the exoticness of things, I think would be a big step forward. Well, speaking of self-awareness, talking about, you know, this notion of self-awareness, cultural Mm -hmm. appropriation, you know, we can't talk about this subject in food without addressing Thug Kitchen. And for those who aren't really familiar, uh, it started out as a cook or sorry, a website, Website. like a blog in 2012. And, you know, it was run anonymously. And it wasn't until recently when the official cookbook, which is called Thug Kitchen, the official cookbook, Eat Like You Give a Fuck, came out uh, when Michelle Davis and Matt Holloway, um, two white people from California, um, revealed their identities. And, you know, within it, the cookbook has specific phrases such as, this holiday season, bake a batch of these spice sons of bitches. Uh, and a lot of people have taken, you know, the inclusion of thugs um, as a way to be not only deceptive, but almost like, quote unquote, the latest iteration of nouveau blackface. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> discuss. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like one of those things where thug is definitively the new N-word. Like, there is no way around it. Or, like, okay, carving out a tiny exception for, like, if you're really into Prohibition-era, you know, role-playing games or whatever the fuck. Look, if you're not going after Al Capone, when you say thug in the modern era, it is almost always the same as the n-word and do not write in to correct me i'm aware there are probably exceptions but it's just like ugh. from that view from that beginning standpoint it's like using the the sort of like otherness trope or the other or the like any anytime i i i feel like like especially like white people use the idea of like, oh, isn't it funny that a white person could talk like this or think like this um, because I'm talking black? I think blackface is like a great analog. It's like, you know, I'm sure they even think, I'm sure these people are like, oh, I listen to Ice Cube all the time or whatever the fuck. But it's like, like, you are laughing at the fact that you, you know, think you're a better person and that thugs talk this way, which like is, is as racist as it gets. And, and it, it's, ugh, it's such a bummer. And, and I think the other thing that is a, a real endemic problem to our generation or 
I say our generation, but I'm talking about the generation below me because I'm old as fuck. Um, but like, <laughs> there's there's a there's a a thing where it's like, you know, it's so I, I hate this phrase, but people call it hipster racism or ironic racism, and, and the idea is like, hey, we're liberal people. How we couldn't possibly be racist, and you must know this because obviously we're liberal and cool. So, anytime where we use a trope of racism, it necessarily means that um, we're just poking fun at people who we use it. But it's not done with any forethought or any awareness of it, or like really like like there's no the the irony isn't actually there like you can say it's ironic because you believe that you wouldn't say that but when i look at you um and especially as someone who's had his mind warped by taking you know years of questions about dark subject like racism like it's like yeah i fucking i do think you would you know call people call black people thugs and that like you you like to use like a like a nineties version of what you believe black people talk like to like populate your entire character. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's gross. I think it's racist. Um, going back to the earlier part of your question about, is it deceptive? Um, yeah, I wonder, I mean, it's like, uh, it's funny to imagine that like, like, I mean, I, it's a marketing tactic and a comedy tactic to just to 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 take something that these people are vegan, right? Am I am I correct? Yes. And yeah. So like, oh, obviously, black people can't be vegan. So this is this is where our hook is. It's just like, and also like, ugh, getting into the politics of like vegetarianism and veganism too. Like that comes from such a world of like, not that I think it's wrong, but. I feel like vegans often like to, to. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. To pretend, not pretend, this is, this is unfair, but, but, but there's a little bit of a victimhood complex with veganism that neglects that. You have to be very like privileged to be able to eat vegan, a vegan diet without dying. You know, it, it's... And I'm sure there are ways to do it. I'm not saying it's impossible to do it. But like, you know, between the investment of time, research, shopping, like it's, it's already hard enough for like underserved communities to eat well and eat any, you know, without having any dietary restrictions, like to eat healthfully. And so it's just like adding one more thing. Like there's a reason the stereotype of veganism is for white people is because, you know, that hugely coincides with the patterns of income and, and wealth and housing and, and uh, food availability, healthy food availability. So it's just like, uh, it's the same kind of shit where it's just like, what is, don't, don't say thug. 
any any white person stop saying thug unless you're talking about literally police officers murdering people then you can say thug um <laughs> and and like it's it's not it's just always tired like um, like taking that juxtaposition to me it's the same as like um uh comedy this is a big thing in in comedy which is what i dabble in um like like the the uh, like white people raps or like uh, people doing ukulele covers of um, of rap songs. This is that, but somehow even worse because they got a fucking book deal out of it, which is disgusting. <laughs> well, what do you think? I mean, what does this say about us? Um, you know. Hmm. In culture right now, what is this cookbook? The fact that it's, you know. They've made a lot of money off of this cookbook. It's gotten a lot of coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it is negative, but Mm -hmm. then there's a lot of outlets, you know, that have given it a positive, like, oh, ha ha, that's hilarious. Check it out. You know, what does that say in food culture today? What does that say about us right now? I mean, like, you know, without, without, and I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but food culture as opposed to like culture of like, like removing food culture specifically, I feel like is, we'll call it like a, a, a real privileged class kind of idea. I mean, the, the idea that like, if, if you're, if you're celebrating your own culture or another culture, it, it, it's weird that like sort of food is like this very specific and very sort of surface level an immediately pleasurable sort of thing that like it, it allows you to like engage with a culture, but not um, immerse yourself or like really think about the meaning of things often if you choose not to. And, and I'm speaking with a broad brush, but it's sort of just like, you know, it, it's possible to, to, to call yourself sort of like a foodie, but foodie or whatever. And, and like really, engage just very superficially with things. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's just like, you know, there's, there's an element of sort of selfishness and, and making this about um, me with, with food culture that is not my favorite. And, and I think it leads to things like Thug Kitchen where it's like, ah, ha, 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 this is how I'm choosing to engage and look at the rest of the world. Um, it's too much. It's kind of how I feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Totally fair. Cool. So, you know, moving on back to chefs, Mm, you know, when we look under the hood of kind of the contemporary food world, uh, we're currently living in an era where individuality and identity is a really primary part of the kitchen you know you'll go to a restaurant and we have celebrity chefs um you know people talk about well his style or her style is this or that they're known for this it stems from that right Mm -hmm. we sort of self-identify them as if they were baseball card um you know players in a weird way we know who they are yeah you know and back in the day it was the opposite the idea was to conform a great chef was in a kitchen that could replicate the same dish in millions of ways and multiple chefs could do it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so thinking kind of you know back into um 
you know, in the early 90s, uh, especially when I was, I'm dating myself here, but when I was a kid, uh, you know, this idea of quote unquote fusion food was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time where people would, you know, you'd go out and people would say, oh, look, like there's sushi on this, you know, menu along with like pasta. That's crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, nowadays we have, chefs, you know, coming from all kinds of different backgrounds and they're creating really unique um, identity-driven cuisines. Mm -hmm. A great example is David Chang. You know, Mm -hmm. he's from Virginia. He's a Southern guy. Um, He's Korean-American. And I think that his food and the sort of school of Momofuku, all of the chefs who helped to create that identity um, are really kind of what we often refer to as new American, right? It's Mm -hmm. not one thing or it's not Asian, it's not Southern, it's not, you know, Central American, et cetera. It's a bunch of stuff. Um, You know, what, comparing that to people who are on the flip side and are actually coming from one specific culture and cooking another culture's food and trying to do so in a traditional way, like Pock Pock, right? Mm -hmm, Andy mm -hmm. Ricker is white. He's trying to create kitchens where it's the most authentic version of Mm -hmm. Thai food you can get. Uh, He's not saying it's authentic. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. he's striving towards authenticity. Mm -hmm. There's Alex Stupak and Empeon in New York. We look at Sean Brock, um, also white, who's cooking Southern food. A lot of that derives from uh, slavery and Mm -hmm. antebellum cooking. You know, what kind of looking at it from that angle when people are going to it from a different angle I mean what's your perspective on that huh I mean loosely as a consumer it is funny to see um, people uh, like like again another aspect of foodie culture is sort of this like obsession with authenticity which is I think is like right like the sort of third wave of cultural crossover so it was sort of like um, I mean, and you can think about it almost like the like Panda Express is you know fusion too. Like that's not Chinese food. That's just sort of like Chinese food mixed with a little bit of American culture or the perception of like what American culture wants. Um, and then like, and then you know, sort of like shitty fusion. Like I grew up in Michigan, so I, you know, when Asian restaurants started becoming a thing beyond like you know takeout greasy Chinese food, there there was that thing of like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, I don't fucking know, like a California roll with barbecue sauce or whatever, um, or just the California roll itself. And, and now it's sort of like this this idea of like authentic versions of um quote unquote authentic versions of of cuisine that these people have immersed themselves in um i i do feel like and and like this is one of those things i rail against but i don't feel like there's a solution or i'm not like if there's like a better like a uh, solution to this but i mean we we kind of um are might be getting into like the bluesification of of uh you know foods of the world there, there's an element to me where I'm like, um, and again, like, and I get shit every time I say this, but like, this is simply my <laughs> probably not very complete perspective, but like, like, I think like, 
like jazz has become like a white person thing. And, and, and it's just so thoroughly appropriated and like, it's not great. Um, but it kind of is just how it is. And I think that might be where we're getting into for in the world. It's just like, look, these, these, uh, white dudes who have a lot of appreciation and a lot of craft and respect, um, and I, I don't think they would say they specifically are um, wanting like like uh, the only experience I have. I mean, is uh, with Pock uh, Pock, um, like, uh, and I don't know the guy's name who who owns it, but uh, Andy Ricker. Like, I, I don't think he would say. I don't think Andy Ricker would say. Um, oh, I'm better, or this is a better version of Thai food. He's just saying, like, I, I saw an opening, or, or I wanted to, you know, I learned um, in Thailand, and I want to bring this food to an audience. But then it's sort of just like you see the same thing, wherein he gets more lauded than, like, any of the number of great places in Thai town. Um, and, and so it's a little bit of, like, that cultural divide of, like, bringing it to the white audience, and the white audience, you know, just so happens to find it, you know, more, more interesting to get the same or similar food from, from a white person. I mean, you know, it it happens in all parts of culture and it's not great, but it's not, it's, it's one of those things that's not like anyone's fault exactly, but it's, it's happening and, you know, it's not wrong to talk about it and it's not wrong to be like, ah, I still like the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. No, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I feel like we could go, we could just go on about this forever. You know, yeah, it's like totally. Diana Kennedy, like, you know, she is British and she's been living in Mexico forever. And she's sort of like the lady who brought, quote unquote, Mexican cuisine to the world in cookbook form. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's an unending world. But if you could give one piece of advice, given your show and your perspective, just to people generally speaking, you know, using food as the example here, you know, what is one way that people can be aware um, and not offensive Mm -hmm, (laughs) and mm -hmm. not complete idiot bozos in the world as we try to navigate this unending issue? I think, and I'm guilty of this as well. It's that like, don't, don't think that food is enough. Like, like, I think it's like, even people who are like, you know, and this extends to all parts of culture. You know, it's like, I'm a, I'm a person of whatever, like I'm a white person who loves hip hop and that's great. But like, I, I feel like, like, you know, if you, just because you've had like, you know, a duck embryo or like, you know, the extra good place to get whatever type of ethnic food, um, don't think it makes you more down than you actually are. I think is the thing like it's great. And that is the first step on a bridge and, and food brings people together. But I think we're at this point where it's like, you know, people treat it like a checklist and that like, and it becomes a tourism in people's lives. And especially when it's in your own fucking town. I mean, in LA, I can't, I can't like describe the number of people, um, you know, white people I know who are just like, yeah, I know this. And I'm like, yeah, you've been to this, but it doesn't mean you know this. And so just like, like, like know that, know that uh, there's more to empathy than just having had, you know, consumed something. That wraps up my conversation with Andrew T. Thanks so much to Andrew for coming on the show and go check out his podcast and his site by the same name at yoisthisracist.com. 
on the next episode from our LA series of Munchies the Podcast. I talked to Nikki Nakayama, chef and owner of N Naka, to learn about the art of Japanese kaiseki cuisine. So until then, get all of our delicious Munchies content over at munchies.tv. Hit us up at Munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook too. And if you like the show, show us some love by rating it on iTunes. It actually helps us out. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll catch y'all in two weeks. 